Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. And right now, your generous gift will have twice the impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge active right now through December 31st. To give a special year-end gift, go to ptv.org podcast and click the Donate button, or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffress. In response to the horrific attack on Israel, I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. We're going to talk about four components of Jesus' life that made him such an effective person during the time he was on earth. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. In this passage, we're going to discover what 24 hours in the life of Jesus looked like. And I want you to notice in those 24 hours of his life, how he balanced his life with four different key components that made him so effective. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, every person on this earth has an important role to play. Most likely, you're juggling multiple responsibilities at once. But knowing your job, that's not the same thing as knowing your purpose. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress looks at a 24-hour period in the life of our Savior in order to discover our own God-given mission. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to Pathway to Victory. Spending a few minutes every single day in God's Word is one of the most important disciplines in the Christian life. After all, the Bible is a lantern that lights our path. And to help guide you during the coming new year, I've written a brand new leather-bound daily devotional for you. This one-of-a-kind devotional is my gift to you when you give a generous year-end gift to Pathway to Victory. I believe this is the biggest and most handsome edition we've ever produced for you, with more than 500 pages. Now, in addition to this substantial volume, I'm also sending you an exclusive brochure that I've written, in which I've identified 37 of the more than 300 prophecies fulfilled by Christ's life and ministry. The brochure is called Jesus, the Fulfillment of God's Prophecies. Now, here's the best part. Right now, because of the active $500,000 matching challenge, your gift to Pathway to Victory will be automatically matched and doubled in impact. We are asking God to stir in the hearts of people just like you so that we can surpass this mark before December 31st, generating an arsenal of more than $1 million to unleash for the gospel in 2024. If we can exceed our matching goal, all these resources will go directly toward expanding Pathway to Victory so that more people here in America and around the world will hear the life-changing news about Jesus. I'll say more about the matching challenge, the prophecy brochure, and the daily devotional later in today's program. But right now, let's get started with today's study in the fourth chapter of Luke. I titled this sermon, 24. And in just a moment, you'll understand why. Every now and then, I'll have a sermon illustration that I think is just going to be great. And it doesn't quite work out the way I plan. In fact, sometimes it backfires. Uh, That happened a number of years ago. I was getting ready to prepare to preach a message on the importance of finding your purpose in life that all of us have a a purpose in life and how we need to discover God's given purpose. And so 
The week before the message, uh, I had an incident that thought, man, this is going to be a great illustration. Amy and I, the week before, were traveling to Florida for a pastor's conference. When we got to DFW Airport, we noticed that at almost every departure gate, uh, there was a group of women, all dressed alike in purple and wearing these funny red hats. And sure enough, when we got on our plane, there was a whole group of these women sitting at the back of the plane, and one of those ladies had gotten separated from her group, and so she was seated next to us. And they didn't have any identification on them, so I said to this lady, just making conversation, I said, tell me about your organization. She said, well, we're not an organization, we're a disorganization. <laughs> I said, well, okay, well, what's the purpose of your disorganization? She said, well, we call ourselves the Red Hats, and it's for women who are 50 and older, and we have no other purpose than to have a good time in life. That's what we do. And so I thought, well, there's a great illustration. So the next Sunday, I just said, kind of a humorous way to my congregation, now, there's a great illustration of the unpurpose-driven life. I didn't realize up until that moment how many Red Hats were members of my church at that moment. <laughs> They had been flying under the radar. Believe me, I heard from them the next week. They didn't appreciate it. And not only that, apparently word began to spread throughout the 20,000 chapters of the Red Hats around America that this pastor in Wichita Falls had said something not very nice about the Red Hats. Not only was I barraged by letters, but for the next year, literally, Every Sunday, I would look out in the congregation and see a whole group of red hats there. Anytime they traveled through Wichita Falls, they would come by to harass the pastor of the First Baptist Church, and they would sit there and glare at me throughout the entire message. Well, finally, I made my amends with the red hats. They continued to come, but we would have a good time, and after the service, I'd have my picture taken with them. Sometimes I'd put on the red hat myself so they could have their picture taken with me. And now in my office, I have a whole collection of red hat figurines that they have sent me from every part of the country to remind me what a great group they are. So let me say at the beginning, I love the red hats. I love red hats. There's nothing wrong with red hats. The fact is, there really isn't anything wrong with having fun in life. Even the Word of God says that. Remember in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon said, for what is better for a man to eat and drink and say that his labor is good? For who can eat and drink and have enjoyment without God? We all ought to have fun. But that shouldn't be the driving force of our life. God has created us for a bigger purpose than just having fun. What is that purpose? Well, if we're a Christian, God has called us to the same purpose of his son. His son came to seek and to save those who are lost. And if you're really a follower of Jesus Christ, the reason God has left you and me here is to expand the kingdom of God. The kingdom means the rule of God. That means we need to take back territory that was turned over to Satan and reclaim it for God. That means we are constantly rescuing people from the domain of Satan and rescuing them and delivering them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And once we do that, once we share the gospel with them and they become a part of the kingdom of God, we help them grow in their relationship with God. 
We produce obedient and reproducing disciples of Christ. That was Christ's mandate to us, wasn't it? To go into all the world and to make disciples. You know, the apostle Paul understood that purpose. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, and he said, and we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, he said, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, some of you may be thinking, well, this idea of making disciples, winning people to Christ, helping them grow in their faith, that's what we pay you for, Pastor. I mean, you're a paid professional. You get your paycheck from the church. We pay pastors and missionaries to do that for us. That's not what Paul said. Remember, a lot of Paul's life, he was a layman. He, he earned his living by making tents. But even though his living was made by making tents, his real calling was making disciples. It's not about where you get your paycheck from. We have all been called to the same ministry of winning people to Christ and helping them grow in their faith. That's the only reason God left us here instead of taking us to heaven. Now, some of you by right now are almost in the third stage of anesthesia. You're about to doze off. You're about to think, boy, this doesn't apply to me. I wish he would preach on something that really is going to apply to me. If that's your thought right now, it only shows you how self-focused your life is. You still really think your life is about your dreams, your goals, your happiness, your pleasure. No, if you're a Christian, your purpose is about fulfilling God's purpose. And I'd say to you seniors here today, whatever vocation God leads you into, don't forget your ultimate calling. Remember that airline pilot I talked about last week, that captain who said to me, you know, my vocation is flying airplanes, but my real purpose is winning people to Christ. God has called all of us to that singular purpose. But I also realize there are many of you here, many of you watching on Pathway to Victory, and you understand that calling. You really want to have a purpose-filled life. You want to experience God's supernatural power and, and know that you're being used for a purpose greater than yourself. The question is, you may be saying, how can I do that more effectively? How can I make my life make a difference in other people's lives? Well, that's what we're going to talk about is we understand how to live out our purpose in life. You know, there's a reason that God gave us four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason he gave us these four gospels was not just to tell us about the death of Jesus for our sins, but to share something about the life of Jesus. To be a disciple of Christ means to imitate the life of Jesus. If you really want to know how to live a power-packed, purpose-filled life, just look at what Jesus did. We're going to talk about four components of Jesus' life that made him such an effective person during the time he was on earth. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now, I have to confess, I still like to watch reruns of the old TV show 24. How many of you remember 24? You remember counter-terrorist Jack Bauer and... Uh, the reason it was called 24 was every season had 24 episodes, and each episode represented one hour in Jack Bauer's life. The whole season was just one day in his life, 24 hours. It was told in real time. 
Well, that wasn't original. Actually, Luke used the same format in the passage we're looking at today. In this passage, we're going to discover what 24 hours in the life of Jesus looked like. And I want you to notice in those 24 hours of his life, how he balanced his life with four different key components that made him so effective. Number one, his life was marked by authoritative teaching. Authoritative teaching was centered to his ministry. Look at Luke 4.31, and he came down to Capernaum. What do you mean he came down to Capernaum? Remember, he had been in Nazareth, his hometown, ministering there in the synagogue. Then he traveled 20 miles to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Capernaum became his home base for his ministry. And the Bible says that part of his ministry was regularly teaching in the synagogue. The Greek tense here indicates this wasn't a one-time action. Central to Jesus' life was teaching and teaching the Word of God. You know, Jesus believed in the power of God's Word. He believed, like we read this morning in Hebrews 4.12, that the Word of God is alive, it's active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. James 1.21 says that it is the Word of God implanted in a person's life that is able to save his soul. And if you and I are going to be serious about really helping people change their lives, transform their lives, then the Word of God is going to be central in our ministry. People are never going to be changed by your words or my words. They're changed by God's words. Let me illustrate that for you. Who is the most powerful person in the world? Who is he? Most people would agree the President of the United States is the most powerful person in the world. And yet, who here today could stand up and recite one sentence from the last State of the Union address by the president? Or not even this past president, the president before him, or the president before him. Isn't it funny? We can't even remember the words of the most powerful person in the world. If that's true, how many of your words will people remember? Or how many of my words? People aren't changed by our words, but they are changed by the word of God. Jesus understood that. Look at verse 32. And they were amazed at Jesus' teaching, for his message was with authority. What is it that gave Jesus' message authority, impact? It wasn't his charisma. It wasn't his booming voice. No, there are three characteristics that made Jesus' teaching impactful. First of all, his teaching was rooted in God's word. It was rooted in God's word. When you look at Mark's parallel account of this passage, it says, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were the teachers in the synagogues. And Mark, William Barclay notes that whenever the scribes stood up to preach, their teaching was as dry as dust. Because they would quote this expert and this rabbi. They would quote from this tradition. Rarely did they ever make any reference to the word of God. It put people to sleep. It didn't change their lives. But not Jesus. He understood the importance of the word of God. We've got a great illustration of that in Matthew chapter 19. Remember the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus 
And so they said, Jesus, we want to ask you about a very confusing topic, a very controversial subject, the topic of divorce. We want to know what you think about divorce. Now, Rabbi so-and-so says this about divorce, and Rabbi so-and-so says this. What do you say about this complex subject of divorce? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 4? He said, it's not complex at all. He said, have you not read? And then he went back to the Old Testament. He said, just look at what the Bible says. It is not confusing. He said, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man divide. He said, it's not a confusing topic. God said, I've made a man and a woman to be united together forever in a marriage relationship. Don't tear that apart. That's what God says about marriage and divorce. It's not that confusing. By the way, Jesus' words there have a great deal to say about the current controversy over transgender identification. People are all confused. Gee, how should we as Christians respond to transgender? And what do we say to the world? And this counselor says this, and this psychiatrist says that. Hey, it's not that confusing. In Matthew 19, 4, again, God's words are applicable. The Bible says, have you not read God made them from the beginning, male and female? Not male, female, and question mark. There is a male and a female. God is the one who has determined how many sexes there are. There are two, not three, male and female. And let me just say this very, very clearly. Transgender confusion, gender identity confusion is an emotional disorder that should be treated professionally and compassionately. Gender identity confusion should not be exploited by social activists like those in the administration who want to deny the God-given distinction between the sexes. This is a rebellion against God's plan. And that's what you have going on here. And it's important for us to say that. And don't anybody confuse this. This is not hatred. Christians should never ridicule or show hatred for those experiencing gender confusion. They shouldn't do that at all. We ought to treat them lovingly. And the most loving thing we can do for somebody who's suffering from gender confusion is to assure them that their gender is not a mistake. It's a part of a loving, perfect plan of God for their lives. That's the message of the Bible. It's really clear when you use God's word. God's word clears up a lot of confusion. Jesus always rooted his teaching in God's word. Secondly, his teaching was filled with application. You know, in far too many churches today, far too many Sunday school classes, the teacher or the pastor just works all week, you know, coming up with this historical background and the meaning of this word and this word and puts it all together and kind of loads it in his dump truck. And then Sunday arrives and the pastor or the Sunday school teacher just dumps all the stuff on the people, just dumps all this content, all this knowledge. And the people just leave dry, unfulfilled because there's been no application. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the reason God gave us his word is not to make us smarter sinners. God gave us his word so that we can know how to obey him more faithfully. And if you're a pastor watching this message, if you're a Sunday school teacher listening to this, if you don't answer the so what question at the end of your message, if you don't use that biblical truth to instruct people on how to change their lives to obey Christ, you miss the whole point of the scriptures. Notice when Jesus taught, he just didn't convey information, whether he was teaching through the parables or the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse about the end times. There was always a practical application of what to do. That's what Jesus did. His teaching was filled with application. Thirdly, his teaching was lived out in integrity. That word integrity literally means to be whole, to be one. When we say a person has integrity, it means all of his life fits together. There's no part of his life out of alignment. There's no dichotomy between what he says and how he actually lives. Again, teachers listening to this, pastors, don't be like the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees had no integrity. They taught one thing, they lived out another thing. Jesus said about them, you hypocrites, you tie on heavy loads on the backs of men of what they're supposed to do, and you're unwilling to do those things yourself. And that's why the Pharisees had no authority in their teaching. People knew they weren't serious about what they were saying. By the way, the same is true for us. Our words are going to fall flat if we don't live with integrity. If we tell other people to tithe and we don't tithe. If we tell other people they need to pray, but we don't pray. If we tell other people they need to live morally pure lives and yet our lives are filled with immorality, we lose all of our authority in our teaching. Jesus lived the truth that he taught. What made Jesus so powerful? First of all, his life, his ministry was rooted in teaching the word of God that changes people's lives. Secondly, his life was marked and characterized by supernatural power. You know, I heard one British pastor lament, after the apostle Paul used to preach, the people rioted. After I preach, my people go out and have tea. Well, I understand that lament. But when Jesus taught, it not only stirred up the people, it also stirred up the demons. Look at verses 33 to 37. And there was a man in the synagogue possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all. And they began discussing with one another, saying, what is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him was getting out into every locality in the surrounding district. Today, we're taking a look at a 24-hour period in the life of Christ. And here's our takeaway lesson from Luke chapter 4. It's not the cleverness of our words or our speech that changes lives. People are radically transformed when they have a genuine encounter with Jesus. Lives are changed when God's Word is instilled in their hearts. And that's the very reason we insist on keeping Jesus at the center of every Pathway to Victory broadcast. 
In keeping with this mission, I'm eager to send you the brand new 2024 Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional. This will instill God's Word in your heart and mind every weekday of the new year. And when you give a generous gift toward our $500,000 matching challenge, I'll be pleased to send you a copy. This is a substantive book, beautifully bound in leather and more than 500 pages in length, so you might determine the size of your gift with this in mind. And because of the matching challenge, today your gift of $100 would become $200. A $500 gift would become $1,000. And a $1,000 gift would become $2,000. There's no limit to what you can give that will be matched between now and December 31st. Every gift, no matter what the size, will have twice the impact. Our plan is to use these accumulated gifts for the sole purpose of proclaiming the gospel to more people than ever before. Now, take down this contact information from David and let me hear from you today. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous year-end gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand-new leather-bound Pathway to Victory daily devotional for 2024. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or it's even easier to simply go online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, you'll also receive this month's Christmas teaching series called The Incomparable Christ. We'll send both the CD and DVD. Plus, you'll also receive Celebrate the Savior, Volume 2. That's a brand new music CD featuring performances by the world-class First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. Remember, your contribution right now will be doubled in impact through our Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. So be sure to get in touch right away. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. Now you could send your donation by mail. Here's that address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Friday when Dr. Jeffress wraps up this message called 24 here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Even though we don't know the date when Jesus will return, we need to have our finger on the pulse of what's happening today. So, in response to the war in Israel, Dr. Robert Jeffress has written a brand new book. It's called, Are We Living in the End Times? In light of increasing chaos, division, and warfare in our world, this really is a fair question. Request your copy of, Are We Living in the End Times? by going to ptv.org. You've made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. We're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. And right now, your special year-end gift will be matched and therefore doubled in impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. Take advantage of this opportunity to double your impact before the deadline on December 31st. To give toward the Matching Challenge, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.